Fuck. All right, let's we're rolling. Rolling. Planet B presents presents Cult and Culture Podcast. Hey, this is Justin Pearson, and this is Luke Hinshaw, and this is episode nineteen of the Cult and Culture Podcast. This episode features Carlos Paez um, of B Side Players and Sonido de la Frontera. Maiz. A San Diego legend. Um, the dude, yeah. everybody knows and loves the guy. So it was cool to finally fully be able to work with that guy um, since 3-1-G got to release the Sonido de la, de la Frontera album, which which was an odd thing for 3-1-G. And some people got it and other people will get it because you can't deny it. it's a badass record. And as soon uh. as people hear it, there's just, you can't, yeah, you can't argue against it. So, right. um. And it was cool, too, that we got to do the Locust um, Sonido de la Frontera tour, short tour, I guess. It's yeah. a few, few shows. But um, it made so much sense to the Locust and to, I think, the what is in the DNA of us San Diegans. You know, it, like, it just totally made sense to, to have those two bands together. And it was cool to challenge people that aren't necessarily used to that kind of thing or expecting to see a cumbia band and then, and then the Locust. So it was... It was rad. It was rad to hang out with him, and 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 it, I think it really, I think it brought at least brought me closer to him as far as his his you know personality and knowing him as a you know as a friend. Um, but seeing him perform was just uh, is unbelievable every night. I mean, the guy just has he's a he's a natural and he has the ability to um, engage with the audience, which is something that I wish I did. <laughs> and it was also great learning the history of B side like the long history not many bands if any here at all you know can say hey we've been active for over 25 years yeah. and not just like hey you know we were active in the 90s and then we took a break for five years and then we came back and then reunited after this many years like they've been fucking active yeah for over 25 years playing all the time and, and it's also I mean, it was cool too, and not not that it's that important, you know, to maybe to the listener of this podcast, but like to me, it was important that like my 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 um, introduction was through punk and hardcore, and it was cool that that kind of was a common thread and still is in that guy's life, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff he does, it's it's rad to see that I I think you know uh, mutate mm-hmm. into other other realms of of music and art and culture. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, I guess without further ado. Um, no, let's just jock him some more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want. Okay, so if we can, I want to start from the from the beginning, because my introduction to you as mm-hmm. a as an artist was through. This is a, it's like a, it's a weird. Maybe it's not that weird. Maybe you can shed light on it, but it was through Sergio mm-hmm. from from Amenity. Amenity, yeah. So I mean, I grew up in you know the punk and hardcore scene, and I mm-hmm. remember you know being a big fan of Amenity, and I knew he kind of did other stuff, but mm-hmm. then everyone's like, oh, it's, it's like Sergio's in this new band, mm-hmm. B side players, and, yeah. was, and I checked it out, and I was like, what the fuck is he doing, man? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. And then it was like, I mean, because also too, we're from San Diego, so I think we have a we have. Uh, artistic diversity maybe in our DNA yeah. so it was it, it was acceptable you know maybe like in some other city it might have been like not acceptable but for me I was like okay so Sergio's in this band I'm gonna that I'm gonna check it out and I'm digging it uh-huh. and then that's it that's all it yeah. took you know well as far as like um, Sergio Hernandez that was the, the that was the genesis of B-side players B-side players was like um, um, 
was created by Sergio and I, and Sergio approached me, and I was in the music scene doing some more like, you know, alternative, like Jane's Addiction style kind of music. And we were just doing little cafes and playing Tijuana bars um, during the whole amenity, um, when amenity transformed into House of Suffering. Mm. So it was kind of like the last days of of of, um, of Sergio's like hardcore scene. Uh, he, I don't know what happened, but he just kind of had a, re- a revelation where he just wanted to he wanted to play dance music, but uh, Chicano based dance music, and that was the how him and I came together because we had the the thing. My uh, background is from um, from like uh, my dad's. Uh, musical background which is like Los Moonlights which is a Tijuana band that was uh, pretty big in the 60s and 70s and uh, I think Sergio knew about like my upbringing and he knew that I wanted to start a, a like a Chicano Latin band like a big band with horns so that's how we came together um, and that was our mutual kind of a a mutual agreement like let's start a, Ch- a chicano latin band from chula vista that incorporates a big sound with horns and and we were both record collecting at the time so we were listening to a lot of the east coast salsa like the fania all-stars and um you know willie bobo all the all the old latin uh, artists from the 60s and not only that but we were also inspired by the west coast latin which was like El Chicano, uh, Carlos Santana, Malo, Tierra, all that music. That's how me and Sergio were like, let's start a project uh. around this kind of vibe. And I'm all, well, it has to be big. The band's going to be big. So Instantly. Yeah. Instantly we started bringing people in. And and so we, we just brought... A, Wait, do you mean big, like physically big or like big popularity big? No, no. We were thinking of a big band, like uh, let's start a big band, like yeah. a 10-piece, you know? Uh, like we want, we want you know, the roads, we want we yeah. want the horn section. So I'm like, yeah. So I was in charge of of recruiting a horn section and and we were both in charge of getting like uh, people... Get the rhythm. Rhythm and everything. So we started recruiting people but we were really limited and we just started kind of scouting. And at that time it was like the early nineties. So there was a whole renaissance of the acid jazz movement from Europe that hit LA and it was coming, coming down to San Diego. And uh, we were really like, um, uh, we like this acid jazz thing because it's exactly what we want to do with the Latin thing. But, it's a little bit more funky jam based, like long songs and a lot of solos, like instrumental. So um, that's when we started recruiting our musicians. We were just jamming instrumentals, like, you know, long 13 yeah. minute songs oh. where everybody solos and it's like, all right, this is the. So we were, we were, Sergio and I started hanging out and going. I'm going to see bands um, and start getting inspired, you know. And uh, one of the bands that really blew us up was a band called Section 8 from uh, Los Angeles, which uh, a lot of people don't know about. But Section 8 was like an eight-piece funk band. Really cool name because Section 8, I grew up Section mm-hmm. 8. That means like low-income apartments and all that. So I'm all, man, this is, that's badass. 
bands called Section Eight, and they were yeah. just straight funk instrumental. But later on, though, uh, we found out those guys were like the nephews of Parliament, like the grandchildren, um, which later on became came Weapons of Choice. You know, all these all these bands that we were we were going to go get inspired by. Uh, the Soul Sonics from L.A. The Soul Sonics was a band that would come to Ole Madrid Tuesday nights. That was like where me and Sergio would go see live music. And I wasn't even 21 yet, but we would get in. And um, the Ole Madrid, which is Mauricio, who uh, opened up the restaurant yeah. in uh, Little Italy that um, became like a... Oh, where we played for Halloween. Yeah. Um, What's it called? Well, Mauricio, he's like a big, he's a big, uh, this guy's been doing restaurants and he's been in the game for so long. And he built like a Tuesday night, like a world music kind of vibe at Ole Madrid on Fifth Avenue in downtown. So the way to get in underage was you would, I would go early and order dinner Mm -hmm. and then, and then stay at my dinner table. And then the band would come and I would sneak into the, to see the bands because, uh, he was bringing in like the brand new heavies, mm-hmm. which uh, me and Sergio had in common as like a a band that we really loved, and that's that's like the more funk, the European funk stuff, you know. Also, Jamiroquai was like a big influence of ours. So we saw like this this band called the Soul Sonics was a, which was a band that was started by Jump, uh, Jump, Jump with Joey, I think, a drummer from. Uh, the old school ska days of Los Angeles, but he was doing a more acid jazz kind of vibe. So we were like, oh, we like this acid jazz thing. So at that time we got our shit together. We recruited some some players, but we couldn't find a drummer. So we, we got like drummers from like, uh, from the Chula Vista scene mm-hmm. that were like, you know, Sergio had all the all the musicians from the straight edge scene. Yeah. Like uh so our first drummer was Joshua from uh I think a band called Statement. Do you remember Statement? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Joshua was like Whoa. so that was our first B side drummer. Whoa. But we were just like and he played hard, you know, yeah. this drummer played hard and we were like just groove it josh just groove it and he grooved it <laughs> he was also a bass player in force down maybe? yes force down yeah. which goes <laughs> yeah. which is, like it's there's so much b-side has so much to do with like the straight edge yeah. scene from chula vista because i grew up you know in th- these were all house parties back in the days yeah. like th- there were big house parties mm-hmm. but but amenity got out there amenity got uh, because that's like a scene where you know a national scene where you it just spread like the, the straight edge scene and Chula Vista was like one of those towns that was known for a, a lot of straight edge bands, you know, Impel, mm-hmm. a lot of great bands that if you know about straight edge music, you know about Chula Vista and the scene. And so, yeah, like I knew who Sergio was. Sergio was, he was already established in that scene, but at that time he wanted to do something different. He wanted to start making people dance, you know, like and groove. And, and I understood that. And so we were on the same page. So like our our musicians were like mixed ex-punk rock musicians. From Joshua came um, Joaquin from Chicken Farm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Chicken Farm was more like a, a more little hard, hardcore punk rock band from uh, from huh. down south from Otay. They were just more grimier, like, uh, you know, 
when once Joaquin joined the band, that was it. Like that was our drummer. Like this was because now we had a real Latin drummer that knew about Latin music right. and about um, doing different uh, rhythm times. You know, six eight and not just playing a, a funky beat, but mm-hmm. he was just schooled in like different rhythms. And so no white, no white folks. So no, we didn't have no white folks at the time. Not yet. Oh, and uh, you sold out at some point, though. Yeah, we sold out <laughs> at one time. So now, now we got the rhythm section, and then of course, like all our drummers were like ex-punk rockers mm-hmm. from the kids. Yeah, you had Vic. Was yeah, Vic yeah. was from the kids. All these straight edgers and punk rockers wanted to fucking play. They wanted to go back to like their parents. Mm-hmm. record collection that they ignored for so long and stayed away from because they're like nah that's mom and dad shit mm-hmm. i'm i'm a punk rocker i'm a straight i'm gonna do my shit but it was in the back it was that's their catalog that they grew up with that's mom vacuuming in the morning <laughs> like to carlos santana or to like yeah, with the cocktail. you know ray barreto or malo yeah it's all in the back of your head. Like you can run away from it, but eventually you can, you know, they were tired of the scene of the punk rock scene, the San Diego scene, which was, it's, it's a hard, it, it, San Diego was that town that, you know, we had such good music, but, and they were, they were always saying, Oh, it's San Diego's going to blow up. Yeah. It's going to blow <laughs> up. It's the next Seattle. It's mm-hmm. this and that. And, you but know, that was very specific to like, uh, that star, yeah. Rock from the Crypt and, and John John Reese's world. Yes, it it kind of excluded everybody else. It excluded everyone else. Yes, and and I and those guys paid their dues forever, and they were they're they're hardcore. To me, they're hardcore. They they pay their dues, but they were ready to do something different. Which that's how they brought me in because they knew that at that time I was like, oh, I want to do uh, something like my dad. You know, I want to do. A, mm-hmm. Like I want to do a cumbia thing uh, because my dad, my dad uh, hits were cumbia. They, he did 16 records, yeah. but the hits that he's remembered by were the cumbia songs. Mm. And so I already knew about cumbia way back before all this. Mm. And I was like, okay, so let's do this. So then after we got our, our little band together and, you know, the little nine-piece band? A little <laughs> nine-piece band. And uh, we were sharing a studio in the National City Studios with uh, P.O.D. P.O.D. Oh, at the time, Water? they were my yeah, friends, yeah. and they were they were just getting their shit together, early 90s. <clears throat> and so we, we started sharing a studio to share the rent because it was a little pricey. Mm-hmm. And so we were this big old band of all, all brown kids. We were still young, and we were just drinking 40s and you know smoking blunts and this was like the early 90s like blunt that was blunts and 40s era you know so we were like all right all right pod's coming like let's wrap it up and pod would come in and we would leave all this fucking mess and they (laughs) they were like dude what's up bro like we're we don't drink and you guys are leaving all this alcohol stuff like i'm I'm sorry bro like that's not gonna happen again like all right let's fucking keep this a respectful thing and so I totally remember those days where like they're like we're gonna pay you back by leaving Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the thing was like my memory of Pod was Marcos the guitarist, mm-hmm. him telling me he's all bro, 
I'm going to be a rock star, dude. Like, we're going to fucking be big, homie. Like, I know you don't see it, but we are. But can I borrow a dollar for a burrito? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can a fucking dollar, dude. And then he would go to the next guy. Can I borrow a dollar for a burrito? And Marcos, dude, was always like, he was the chubby guy in the band. Like, he wanted a burrito. Mm-hmm. And look where POD fucking sold. I think they sold over 50, over 50 million records, whatever. All the, all the fucking panhandling for dollars yeah. paid off. So should go get your dollar back. B-Side started getting their shit together, and then boom, here we go. We started playing live around town. And back then, the music scene was Ole Madrid, which was like, oh, man, we got to do Ole Madrid because that's the music we're listening to. Like, I got to see Guru at at Ole mm-hmm. Madrid like Guru was the the rapper back in the days like Jazzmatazz yeah, Jazzmatazz yeah. was like mixing the live music it was like Grey Boy All-Stars yes yeah, so like so like so now so now we're in Ole Madrid playing Ole Madrid and then the green uh, uh, what's it called the green circle bar opens mm-hmm. up oh yeah and then Grey Boy All-Stars are residential and they ask us do you guys want a residency there so we start doing like an off night Thursday or something and and then it just blows up and that's based around the whole acid jazz kind of days. Uh, Steve Cater, all the DJs were where Nigel from the UK was coming down and spinning like all jazz and funk and those were probably the best days of my life because that was just good music. Yeah, so free. And um you know, Carl Denson was was playing with a great boy all-stars and then Lenny Kravitz was like let's go Carl Denson so then Harold Todd came and replaced him Harold Todd was like a flute player a saxophone player that and then when when Lenny Kravitz stopped touring Carl Denson would come back to the great boy all-stars and I'm and I was like Harold Todd what's up let's go on the road so we got b-side players finally we got gigs we got a booking agent so now we're we're doing West Coast, and uh, so we took Harold Todd on the road. So now we have like an established soloist, mm. and then it was just unstoppable. But at that time, the LA scene was, of course, and that whole music was was big. It was just instrumental funk and soul, but we were like the only band that was mixing the Latin thing. Like this was before Oza Motley, before all that. Yeah. Like B-side players, like we were just a little ahead of the time with the Latin thing. So we were doing the acid jazz funk groove, but with Latin, which means uh, the Latin would include like the percussion, like the uh, the percussion was like timbal, congas, and drums. And then we would go into these crazy drum breaks that was just like, you know, because a lot of us were taking these um, African drumming classes at Southwestern College. Uh-huh. And so we were all into the Afro, into the Afro beat and the African rhythms, like the traditional rhythms. So we were already incorporating that into the Latin music, into the groove and the funk. So it was like sounding like a, it was like a definitely a world music thing that we mm. were. And we had that punk rock edge because of, what what we had so we were like it just was a new sound and in la it blew up so now we're in la and black ips are opening up for us and uh, now we're doing residencies in la and it's just it's just like a whole different vibe but we never liked the la vibe we just didn't feel it like to us 
it just was like a talent show. Like people were like, like, uh, you guys sound like this and that. Like they never gave us like, like respect as far as like, hey, you know, they they would always like compare us to someone else, and we're like, nah, man, we're B side. Like we're, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. But that's and like an industry thing. It's an industry <clears throat> thing, yeah. And we knew, and then from all the people that were hitting us up in L.A., you need to do this and that, and we did. We did everything they told us to do. Go do this television show and go do this. Go do this radio show, and we did all that. And we were just over it, so we were just like, let's fucking just skip L.A. and go straight to the Bay Area. Yeah. And we went to the Bay Area, dude, and it was over. Like, We're like, this is our fucking second home, mm -hmm. dude. The Mission District is mm -hmm. like, to me, is like Barrio Logan back in the days. And it, we just did the Elbow Room. We just murdered it there. We were selling out the Elbow Room. We were doing Saturday, Friday and Saturdays. And we were making more money because we were controlling the door, which they don't let. Mm -hmm. These places, none of these places let you do that no more. Control the door and you get all the money, the door money. And we were just murdering it. We established our own ticket price. And every time we went up, we added a couple bucks to our ticket price until until we were making so much money and selling out both nights. And now San Francisco is like, we, we got San Francisco. Let's go to San Jose. Let's go fucking control mm -hmm. San Jose. And then, all right, let's start going up. Let's start going up the coast. And we just started doing all the hippie towns, Chico mm -hmm. and the Humboldt. And then we just started doing California for like five years, like B-side, boom, boom, murdering it. And then we, from there, we were having a good time. All of us, like we were in a, we were all young and, and making music. And, you know, we recorded a little record, uh, our first CD and, we were just touring and just doing good, doing Cal the California thing, you know. We did some big festivals, and it wasn't until we booked. Uh, we got a, all these booking agents were were trying to, you know, we got this ten piece Latin band from San Diego. All these booking agents were like, "Let's go!" Like, "What's up?" Like, you got we have meetings with these booking agents, and we're like, this one guy, his name was Tom Windish. He just was like, you guys need to sign with me. Like, I got you now. As soon as you sign, like, we're doing the East Coast thing. And we signed with Tom Windish. And if you look up Tom Windish now, he's like an empire. Like, this dude is one of the best booking agents in, like, the world. This guy, like, back then, he was he was just getting started. But now he's an empire. Everybody knows yeah. Tom Windish. So once Tom Windish took over... We were just U.S. coast to coast for like, and it never stopped from that. If like ten years went by, B side was just traveling nonstop, you know. And how and like and with a ten piece band though, how would you travel? That right? was crazy. We were doing the van thing with the trailer and with ten people. With ten people, it was we were always like a nine piece, That's you know, cool. no less than nine piece. At that time, everybody. Um, I was brainwashed and I would brainwash others like we're hey, this is our budget. We're going to make 500 bucks a week, everyone. But we're going to be traveling and we're going to be going everywhere. And like everybody was down and we would come home with no money because mm -hmm. all your expenses, yeah. you know, your food and 
I mean, the band would pay for hotels and all that. And well, that's the thing with B-Side. Like, we were never squatters. We never mm-hmm. really were like, the, like let's go sleep at some couch. homie's house. Yeah. Like, yeah. we were never that. We were we were always like, let's get some hotels. Like, we deserve it. We yeah. were, we've been working hard. So we always were a hotel band. And that was a big expense, of course. Yeah. So we never really came home with any money. But we were, at this point, we were just doing like, 180 shows a year dude like ridiculous like it turned <coughs> up so what about like when you would play outside of you know like you said playing like in the mission district and stuff like that but when you'd start hitting up like chico where it's like all these like white college students and shit so at that tripping? point chico was uh, the number one party school in the nation yeah in the nation like wow. playboy put this article up like the number one party schools and chico was number one so we didn't know that so when we go to chico it's just like crazy it's like it's it's just like a festival but it's just a regular night and people are going off so we're like okay let's keep coming back to chico and we just kept coming back so we started getting all these little towns that we re- these little markets and these towns that we really were good at because like you have to understand like a band like us we had no radio play mm-hmm. we had no record sales so all our our the way that back then there was no social media there was nothing like we would travel off a map and the best way to like to make money was like return to these places where like you're You're making making money money. you know and the and the club owners are like dude our we don't know what the hell happened tonight but (laughs) you guys play latin music and you make everyone dance and we sold out of all our tequila and all our Mexican beer, and that's never happened before. Wow. And later on, I like I would talk to people like at the Belly Up, like Solana Beach, a uh, place that we're familiar with, uh, San Diego musicians. That's like um, a really nice part of town, Encinitas, Solana mm-hmm. Beach. And I started having a, a relationship with the bartenders. They were like, man, I love when you play here. And I was like, am I really? You love you love our music he's like, he's like i love your music but when you play here i make so much money you know like i'm a bartender here i bartended here for 15 years and when you come play here like we sell out of all the all the tequila mm-hmm. all the and it, that's all what it comes lights. to it comes to like business like with you have to understand like like a reggae band is gonna play but like people are gonna They'll drink one beer, two beers at the most, yeah. and they're gonna go smoke weed outside, yeah. and they'll order water. Salsa, salsa music is dance music. They want to dance the whole time. They'll drink water all night. They're not, yeah. gonna, they're not a drinking crowd. It's a dancing crowd. Um, underage shows. There's no alcohol. Um, so a band like us, wherever we went, these bar owners, it was all business. It was like the numbers. It's all about numbers. It's not about numbers of how many people are in there wow. it's about alcohol sales alcohol sales is a, another number that the band never knows about we're not, they don't they're not going to tell us how much they made at mm. the bar yeah unless you build a relationship with the bartenders and you find out these things and we're like i was like oh my god like really like you made you guys made that much money on alcohol so that's why we're like to this day like we play like moe's alley like a bar where like they sell out of alcohol because it's the music we play it's party music when you mix genres of music like mariachi cumbia 
reggae, funk. It's just like a party vibe. It's a party dance vibe. And it's like, I'm going to dance and then I'm going to go get a drink. Yeah. I'm going to dance. I'm going to get another drink. Yeah. And I'm going to buy my friends drinks. Uh, and it's a drinking kind of, we've always been a, a drinking party party band, you know? And and I think that has a lot to do with the big band also, seeing the big band yeah. thing. It's just like this this like energy, you know? And you're, you're watching nine musicians on stage moving and playing and you get loose you get loose yeah it's a groove. loose thing yeah. so that going back to sergio being from a straight edge scene to now you're like in a party band and you're you're playing to drunk people every <laughs> yeah. Night. Yeah. you know what i mean i mean sergio was probably playing to a lot of drunk punks yeah mm -hmm. i'm sure he yeah. was <laughs> i was drunk at the straight edge shows yeah yeah so I didn't. Care. I heard about it's you like guys. More, yeah. more beer for me. <laughs> but you are the only original member in B side, right? I'm the only original <laughs> member, but I think that has to do with the lifestyle that we created, um, which is the touring lifestyle, mm -hmm. and uh, people just started falling out. It's just the the band never really. We never made money. Yeah. We never came up with money like to this day. So I, I think that's why people were like, dude, this is a cool, like I gotta get out of the cool, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's fun, I'm, I'm having a great yeah. time, I love playing B-side, but like I need to get my shit together. But there, I mean, that happens too, like even in punk bands, it's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, the, 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 it's not that I came home with a lot of money, I came home with life experiences. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of more yeah. valuable. And, I, and I, I'm not saying, I, I, what I'm talking about is like the guys that, devoted their life to b-side it's like decades it's not like they were in there for three years and i'm out like decades like people that are in the band stay for like 10 years and then i'm out or five to eight years because you're gonna go travel that's the thing i promise you're gonna travel and you're yeah. you're gonna have a great time yeah. you know you're gonna go see you're gonna go coast to coast and and maybe sometimes we'll get to go to mexico and and you know it's different though too traveling because even on tour like you go somewhere like people are always saying like oh it's, you're so lucky you get to travel and yes i am lucky but it's different because when i go on, on tour it's like I, I most of my day is at the venue or the night or whatever yeah. and i have a couple hours but at the same time you you end up creating friendships and you end up seeing things differently than if you were there as a tourist for you, sure you see the other side of it the, you see the yeah. real side of things and I, yeah. that is really valuable it is like and and it's the small towns that I really fell in love with that I still go visit to this day. Like, um, I don't know what it is with Idaho. They really love. I think it 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 was it has to do with like ten piece Latin band from San Diego, like a little flyer, and it's like it's something that like it's appealing to them. Like, what the I gotta go check this yeah, out. If I was know? in Idaho and I saw that, I'd be you know like, what I mean? the fuck is that? And so that's how we and that. Colorado, like the Rockies, we just murdered it because the people were just like intrigued by that. Like, oh, nine piece band from San Diego, Latin band. And that's it. Yeah. And there wasn't no social media back then. It was, there was no way to blow up the show. It was just like a, a flyer, you know, or like, yeah, at the club or word of mouth. Um, come check. And that's how I would come, you know, I would see the bands that would come to San Diego too, the same way. It was different times, different times, but um, definitely like people were intrigued by the whole 
Latin band from San Diego and they were just like, oh man, this is awesome. It was just a party. It was a party. But it's the weird thing is like just that little introduction. Like, how do we get this? Because kind of kind of like how like I knew Sergio was in B side. I was mm-hmm. like, I gotta check this out. But then when we did those shows together, the Locust and, and Sonido people, it's like, what is this? And then they see it and they're like, oh shit, I get it. Yeah. Like this is the jam. You know, it just they need that little connection or little piece of information. Yeah, for sure. And that and then like the Sonido thing is just became something where we were all like let's let's record and let's do a, a recording project to like got to open up for the locust and and I I really like this I really I think we should we should pursue the traveling thing and now um, of course during these covid times like it's it's hard to book anything but um you know for sure if, if we weren't in these circumstances like this is a band that would like the pro- Sonido project would be touring, like oh yeah, nationally or international right now, because. Well, what about the the n- nine or ten piece band to a three piece band? That's got to be like a mind fuck for you, right? It no, it's not. It's it yeah, it is. It's super easier, and it's like the thing with the big band is like it. Everyone, you know, separates in little parts. Like uh, you get three people going over there, and three people going over there. And then it's like, all right. And so the band is always kind of like doing separate things. It's not united. With a small band, uh, I really love it because we're just all together at all times. Yeah. And oh, I guess sh- I meant like on the, on stage. On stage, oh, yeah. The, the dynamics are way different. Um, with the big band, for me, I'm like the, the person that's like, I'm all, hey, let's work on our dance steps. Let's be more united. And that's kind of hard because it's, it's a bunch of uh-huh. it's a bunch of dudes you know and but i've always been uh my dad's band was always like a visual band yeah. because they dressed in in like the same suits like the 70s leisure suits mm. they would have every color every night it was such a pleasant like sight to s- just to see the band was like amazing cuz they were just all unified and they were just it was it was just uh synced up to where like they look good together and i've always wanted uh b-side to be like that but it was so hard to do like we never had the budget to have like different suits tailored to us every night so i always let everyone gave the freedom to dress what they wanted to dress but at the same time that affected us too because to me like it's not what i wanted it's not what i wanted to see like so you have some people dress like shit and you have a, a guy dressed nice. Yeah. That's already bad. Yeah. It's already yeah. bad visual. Yeah. So it, I was always really like unsatisfied with that. So one time I made everyone like, I'm gonna fuck this. So I got fucking guayaberas. I'm all, this is cheap. I, so I bought uh, everyone the same guayaberas. I'm gonna wear black pants, wear black shoes. So now we're all dressed alike. and. So now we look like a bunch, bunch of fucking waiters, and people are like ordering drinks from us. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, dude. So when I went to when you know when I was on tour with the Locusts and they're all fucking dressed alike, I'm all that's fucking shh, that's badass. It's a vibe. It's a vibe, and I've always loved that, like the '70s bands, like the bands that would always 
you know, dress in fucking the same suits. Uh, that shit's another level, yeah. dude. Like a whole nother visual, another level. And it just like, you look good together, you play good together. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's definitely a unity. Yeah. You see, you see that live on stage. But or like looking like a gang or something. You're like, okay, there's you know, a couple hundred people here and there's five people that look like they're super fucked. That's yeah. got to be a band, you know? And you're like, that's the jam. Like, yeah. And then also, like, yeah, coming from, like, the punk rock musicians and straight edge, uh, those guys are, you know, they, they had a style, like, back then. Like, when you look at when you look at the videos and the pictures of them, they had a style. Yeah, like they it. could get away with. They had a really simple yeah, style. Downplaying yeah. it, yeah. It was, was kind of like... But you know what's the most iconic? You know, punk band is like like the Ramones. You mm-hmm. know, and they all fucking looked sick together. Exactly. Uh, but I remember growing up, leather thinking, jackets. Yeah, like but they all had like denim jeans yeah, and you know, yeah. like they all had a thing. But like mm-hmm. I would look at bands like The Damned, which which I love that band, and I'd always trip out on Dave Vanian looks like fucking vampire, and the rest of them mm-hmm. look like punkers, <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's just weird. Like, why don't they all look like vampires? Like that would have been yeah. so badass. But I, I I think even with the Locust and stuff too, like subconsciously we gravitated towards looking like something because we grew up like really being some of us being fans of like the later Beatles or even mm-hmm. the earlier Beatles but you know or even in the punk world like this band Nation of Ulysses like mm-hmm. they rolled up all in suits and shit and like they looked different and that was yeah. really important you know yeah. it, made a, it was a statement upon itself because you wanted to stand out uh-huh. for sure and that like um, going back to the acid jazz scene when we started that was like um, you know when you talk about jazz, like the way they would dress, I mean, they would dress, you know, you, you back in the days, like any jazz musician, you've you had to you had to look good, you know what I mean? That was yeah. part of part of your gig, and but it was it wasn't like a um, everybody knew you got a jazz gig, you look good, you know yeah. what I mean? You never uh, could like roll up in like shorts and never, mm-hmm. never. So that goes back to B side when the white guy came into the band. <laughs> Say his name. So, um, so Joaquin, this kid came from uh, Otai, from Chicken Farm, and his thing was uh, his brother, Tisok. When Tisok got his shit together and was like, okay, I want to play music again, uh, Joaquin left B-side to, to, you know, be with his brother, which was like, you know, I, I had no problems with it. Family first, like, go be with your brother. You know, your brother needs you. And and that's when Agua Dulce, they formed Agua Dulce. Mm-hmm. was just a band, like, so similar to B-Side. Like, like yeah. to this day, people compare us, like, oh, All you guys time. are the same. But so, they, so we lost our drummer, and that was, like, hard because he's irreplaceable. Like, like how are we going to find a drummer that can play, you know, Afrobeat? funk reggae soul like um and and know all the different rhythms of you know like clave and salsa and like merengue like how are we gonna find someone so of course you know we had some players in the uh san diego state the jazz band the the a band or whatever and uh somebody referred us to this this white kid his name is ryan moran and this kid was like schooled in in like African drumming and he was he was like one of those kids that would just practice to the metrodome you know like he was just like pocket and we brought him in and the kid was badass and he 
pretty much did what I thought no one else could do was play all those rhythms <laughs> <Yeah>. and everything. <laughs> like to, he did what Joaquin did and everything. I'm like, oh man, okay. So we did our first show at the Belly Up with him and he fucking rolled up in fucking Birkenstocks and tie-dye. <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck. Like, and I didn't say anything, but I just go, I, I, it was like that, what was that video of Perry Farrell when he's on stage and someone threw, throws a Birkenstock at him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he fucking, he's like, not only are, you know, you're a fucking asshole over throwing that, but your fucking whole sense of style is fucking wack. That's great. Yeah, he said yeah. something like that. Uh, I was like, oh, man, whatever. But but he's behind the drum set, so I'm like, fuck it. Let him do his thing, dude. He's a fucking drummer. And so he just murdered it. And he fucking toured with us for seven years. Uh, <laughs> and, did you have uh, to talk with him though? About no, the, I know? never did. Never. I let him do his thing. Eventually, he just started feeling out of the circle and started dressing like us, you know. And um, at that time, I was wearing cowboy boots. I didn't give a fuck. So there was there was no way he was gonna dress like me. Uh, so everyone's doing their own thing. And it was like the jam band era. It was like the late '90s where we were just doing hippie towns and doing like 15 minute songs and hippies were just going off dude <laughs> this was like two years of my life like, what would you do as a vocalist when that happened um i was playing the trumpet oh and we would go into these long songs and that was cool about about b-side is we we could cater to the hippies mm -hmm. and this was like pre like fish and galactic like when these bands these bands we were touring with these bands and they weren't big yet now that these bands are huge yeah. like you know what i mean yeah. like fish galactic and so <laughs> i can't i can't wrap my I head know. around that stuff and man. and it was like i love you guys your energy is so <laughs> rad can i hug you every night you know yeah. your energy give me another hug they're trying to steal that chicago i loved it from you. i loved it no i loved it because it was peace and love like peace and love i'm all about that I lived that lifestyle and it was great. The drugs were great. The drugs yeah. were clean. Oh. Everyone had a good time. Um, it was a good time. But so we were doing that. And next thing you know, a slightly stupid offers us. They were a three piece band from uh, Ocean Beach. And these guys were like, we're on the we're back home and they're like, I want to take you on the road. And we're going to do this, this fucking, the Rockies, like cold, like Vale, Breckenridge, like all the. All the ski towns. Oh, let's go. And we want B side to open up. Oh my, like, you want a fucking nine piece band to open up for a three piece band? Like, are you sure you want this? Like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Like, we're killing it. Like, we do what we want. We're like, let's go. Whoa. So then we fucking do this tour, and now we're like drinking vodka Red Bulls every night, mm. and it's like the whole fucking, um, it's like the map, uh, the what's it, the snowboarder vibe like the whole different like it's like a whole different world you yeah. know what i mean the x game vibe uh, and at that time slightly stupid was mixing punk rock with reggae and there were more punk rock on the punk rock level yeah. but their version of punk rock which is yeah. like whatever Pop, it's punk. not way you, yeah you're punk rock it's like pussy punk <laughs> yeah <laughs> well whatever so so we finished the tour we get home and like i get home and then rymo the drummer Ryan's like, so I'm leaving the band. I'm done. They were just like uh, during the whole tour, they were like uh, talking about, uh, we're gonna take you away from B side, and we're gonna promise. We got this 
how much money does he pay you? We're going to pay you this. Cool. And not only did they take him away, but they were trying to take my our percussionist away. So now when you see Slightly Stupid live, they're a nine-piece band. Yeah. They're not they a, are? Yeah. Yeah, they have the horn section. They have yeah. the percussion. So they wanted what we, what we had. Oh, yeah. So from that tour, they were never a three-piece band ever again. They had, wow. a they had a three piece horns. So now they're like, they were like, we want this sound. I have to admit, on principle alone, I never listened to that band just because it, the name in itself is actually really stupid. Yeah. Not slightly, but very. Yeah. I just don't know. So I didn't have a problem with it because I'm on, dude, I fucking, I never thought that I could replace Joaquin, but I'll find another drummer. And yeah. I did. I found another. So I never had a problem with the whole. Whatever, go do your thing. Like, congratulations. And Ryan, to this day, plays a slightly stupid. But the thing that bothers me the most, and this is the whole thing, is he hit a level, in a nice level, and like which uh, I wish upon er every musician where like you're comfortable, you're making money, like you have ability to buy a house and support your family off music. That's that's amazing. Like. I've been doing that all my life. You know, I don't know. There's not a lot of musicians that can do that. That's like a blessing, you know what I mean? Where you could buy a house, off music. Mm -hmm. And he reached that level. And I'm all, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. But he reached a level also where he was like on Drummer Magazine. And he was like, he hit the fame. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So I would be like, oh, man, Ramo's big time. Yeah. So I would go read his articles. And he's like, so how did you how did you meet with Slightly Stupid? So I came to study in San Diego, San Diego State, and I met Slightly Stupid, and boom, we hit it off, and now we're touring the world. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, he forgot a little bit about the seven years he was with us. Okay, let me let me check this other article up. Maybe he mentioned us in this other article. So what's up with, how did you, you know, how, how did you come to Horses from the Bay Area to with the Slightly Stupid from San Diego? How did you join the band? Well, like, we were, I was, came to study in San Diego, and then I joined Slightly Stupid, and boom, it was off from there. Now we're traveling the world. <laughs> I'm like, this fool forgot about, like, the whole, his whole B-side, seven years that he did with B-side players, uh. how we traveled and... Like, you know, he played different rhythms and everything. Like, we pretty much, we schooled this guy. We we got him under our wings and his Birkenstocks, and we took him on the world. <laughs> and, like, he became a touring musician. Never mentioned us. Like, he was ashamed. Wow. Ashamed to be in our band, dude. Right. That's what, that's the way, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, how, my musical career, I mentioned everything. All the shitty bands I played with. Yeah. All the bands, like I mentioned that because that's your career. That's how you yeah. got to where you're at. Yeah. And you can't exclude that, your history, you know? Yeah. Especially seven years, two years of a of like where you, who you've played with to get where you're at. You can't erase that. Like, that's part of your. Totally. So he, to this day, dude, he will, he will not mention that he played with us. Mm -hmm. And I, it's like he wants to exclude that part. He wants to. I fucking studied at San Diego State, to, and I joined Slightly Stupid, and I hit the big time. That's uh, his story. He missed the only thing that has street cred. Yes. Yeah. Totally. He doesn't want the street cred, though. He doesn't uh, want it because 
he was he's he would explain like i was the only white boy in that band and yeah they fucking talk shit to me and <laughs> they fucking but dude he was part of our band like we would yeah. stay in, in his with his parents and marin in the barrier we'd have dinners i took him to meet my family in, in sinaloa my family my grandfather who died met him and fucking pictures like he yeah. knows all my everyone in my family my kid my kid fucking known him since he was born like he's part of my family yeah and he fucking that you don't hurt. talk to him anymore nah dude that yeah. fucking hurt me really bad because it's like dude i'm proud of you bro like you're fucking big time but throw a bone out throw a bone like yeah. like don't forget about where you come from you know yeah. and yeah. that's the thing man like uh Ozomali, man, I love Ozomali, and they're like the homies. And we started, you know, B-Side started a little earlier than they did. And when they when they came out, they were like, dude, Carlos, we want to come to San Diego. Let's do this, dude. We fucking played Bodies together, and I got on fucking shows. But when you're in L.A., opportunities are just there, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you're a hot band that's coming up. And Carlos Santana scooped them up, and they went on the road. And when I started calling them to return those favors, they were—they just never answered my calls. They were just, and I was like, "All right, it's like that." But that's why, like, I never liked L.A. That's why mm -hmm. I skipped L.A. because I knew it was like that. Yeah. I knew it was people like they want something from you, but when it comes, oh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, and San Diego's not like that, mm -hmm. and the Bay Area is not like that, and, with the exception of that band from OB. But I'm um, so which, which band? Slightly stupid, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a weird thing too, though, because what about like San Diego music always has such a diverse mix of stuff, because people probably were tripping out on B side or even like Sonido, like, like what is this, you know? And you're like, but it doesn't matter. It's just good, yeah. right? It's just good music. Just don't worry about it. Like if B side was taking all those influences from, you were saying like salsa and cumbia, and, you know, Afro beats, yeah, and, like, all these different elements of music. Why do people need to find a, a terminology for it? Like, just let it be good. Yeah, and the, back then there was no, there was no um, scene, um, there was no genre to, to exploit that kind of music. So there was no way we were going to be on the radio. Plus, and it was Spanish, we were right? recording songs in uh, half. Our records were half Spanish, half uh, English, yeah. so bilingual, and that was a no-no. And not only that. But um, our songs were like 13 minutes long, and that was like okay, so you're not gonna be on the radio, yeah. and we're not. But we weren't trying to be on the radio. We were already like, let's make people dance, you know what I mean, and let's just groove, and we just stuck. We stuck to that forever. So we were always a touring band, and we never relied on radio. We never. Yeah. The radios invited us to come, but it was always like some, you know, college town shit, underground radio, like world music type shit. And they were just like, cool. And we never intended to be on. That was never our purpose. Mm -hmm. Our purpose was like play to play. And, yeah. And but still, like what bands that are like 13 minute jam songs are huge. Well, maybe fucking maybe Mars Volta. That could that yeah. was a weird thing too. It's like how does how does that become such a huge? But they were already big from that. They the were already big, so, yeah. Yeah, I but mean, I set it up. That's like I don't know, but that's also like, I think all of us were all fans of Mars Volta and the and their their musicians. Like we've always loved that kind of music. Where and when it blows up, and when they blow when they blew up, it was like, oh, this is dope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is they deserve it. But like, that's a, I mean, but watching watching B side play 
I I can see the, like uh, this is no disrespect to anyone, but I when I watch when I watch B side play, I could see uh, like a traditional sort of music type of music when i would when i would go see mars volta i'm like what in the fuck are these guys doing like everyone's soloing right. like i should be on drugs but i'm right. not like right. how does this major you know label shit or like mainstream stuff where like normal fucking people are digging this and you know yeah. that was the thing like you know you know what i'm saying like it doesn't seem accessible where like i think b-side should have been huge like totally accessible musically yeah i think it's just also like um the timing too like you know what I mean? Like as far as like now, oh, the lottery. when you listen to lottery, commercial right? radio, now now you hear Spanish songs, mm -hmm. yeah. and now it's a thing where. But back then they were like, dude, do not if if you're gonna make a record like English or Spanish, don't mix the both. Yeah. Like that's like we can't help you with that. And it was so like, weird. what do you mean help us? What like what do you mean? Well, we can't help you like uh, put it in a genre where we can categorize it and sell it and it's like it's difficult for us and i'm like okay well fuck dude i'm bilingual i'm fucking you know yeah. like with this project with sonido i don't have a choice because luke is like fucking militant he's like no english songs <laughs> I'm like, fuck, dude, really i just can't hear it so i can't he won't let me sing a song in english <laughs> and that's fine but but that that's like it's in the reverse if you're gonna tell me no spanish songs i'm like fuck you yeah you know of course what I mean? yeah but what what about that like any kind of spanish music whatever like style it all becomes latin music yeah. by industry standards like it could be anything mm -hmm. you know like i don't know i'm fucking even like los crudos or whatever all the you know like they're, they're all their songs are in spanish like uh. they they were never categorized as like a latin band they were just a hardcore band. yeah and it's just fucking crazy to me like now like hipsters going to Barrio Logan and they're like, do you have any solitarios? Do you have any bookies? Diablos? Do you have those moonlights? And I'm like, um, those records are like a hundred bucks. And they're like, yeah. Do you have any? And I'm like, fuck, dude, really? Like, like now, like that mute, anything that's old, <coughs> 60s, 70s, like Spanish music, like that genre, is like the hipsters are now they know about it. Everything came back, dude. Like the lowrider music, uh, the Chicano music, the the old uh, psych, uh, garage psychedelic uh, bands from from you know Mexico that were just laughed like they laughed at them. Like this sounds terrible. Yeah. Those records are like five hundred dollars to a thousand. Yeah. Like they're rare. But what about like? Do you think? This is a this is a t probably a weird question to answer, but do you think your like B side and Sonido and all uh, everything you do has also benefited from that? No, I think in later in the future it's it's gonna be like that. Like, do you have a B side fucking you know? Yeah, five hundred dollars. Like, like it's gonna be like that. Yeah. Like, and my dad it happened the same thing. My dad never, you know. Of course, he lived the when they were when they were at their prime. They were just killing it flying everywhere and staying nice hotels and doing nice gigs but he never fucking hit the the money jackpot mm -hmm. he was just part of a band so now when like when i'm my dad your records are fucking worth like a hundred to three hundred dollars and he's like what the fuck you know yeah and well, how did that happen he's, there's not they're not rare like they're rca there's there's fucking made a million of them yeah and I'm like, no, they're just hard to find because 
the people that played your records on them played them like grinded them to the fucking didn't play no more yeah, yeah. so they're like you know what i mean i remember one time somebody tried to diss me or joke they're like haha i saw your record at the swap and i was like fuck yeah <laughs> because that meant the distributor picked it up sold mm -hmm. it to a record shop somebody bought it and now somebody's selling it. it it was nothing about like the music yeah. being shitty yeah. it was just like it's been handed down i was like I felt fucking great, like yeah. that it was being mm -hmm. sold at the swap meet where I get my fucking records. Which record was, was like, it? Do you remember? It was the very first uh, break album that oh, I did. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, this is where I came from, was from the fucking swap, swap meet, yeah. and to be back, yeah. I was like, dude, there's no, like, I never took that bad, you know? And then now I see him yeah. on like Discogs and all that shit for way more than what we were selling them for, so I'm like, fuck yeah. But I wonder, like, maybe you could, maybe some of the punk roots or whatever, like how we, where we all came from, like it never. I mean, yeah, it's like it's really nice to get paid, and mm -hmm. and that's great. But but we never really set out to do it to make money. We mm -hmm. did it because we wanted to make art, and that was the most important thing. It was mm -hmm. when when you're setting, and it's also just me. Like I don't know the people in fucking slightly stupid or whatever. But like someone probably thinks like we got to do this because this will make money. Mm -hmm. It's like no, you should have just did it. Are by yourself on your own, like mm -hmm. from your heart, not from yeah. your wallet. Yeah, searching for what would make money. What's gonna be the next? Or, thing? I mean, like the same thing. Their their fucking Project B side tour, where they were just juicing you guys to fucking finally become that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, oh, this is what's fucking doing it. And they I think I think it's just that we inspired them to like, all right, like, do we want to be a three piece band or do? you want to take our shit to another level mm. but they will never give us credit for that yeah. Yeah. never you know and not only do they take my musicians and change their whole like identity but like not even like a hey why don't you fucking now that we're headlining the red rocks or headlining petco park come fucking open up for us homie we love you oh yeah yeah like, but i don't even care about that i just care about the history, like totally. the written history, like, dude, mention that you fucking were in B-side players, dude. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all I want. Credit. Yeah. yeah. Mention that you fucking, before you were in this band, you were in this band. Yeah. Like, so that people understand, like. The history. The history. Huh. And the, you know what I mean? Don't be ashamed of that shit. Yeah. Don't. Like, maybe it's on his character, you know? I mean. I played with this guy in my first band, Struggle, and he ended up becoming the, one of the main dudes in like uh, Blackheart Procession and uh -huh. stuff. And, oh, yeah. You know, he was he was rad. We were in high school together. He played in Struggle, and we were a terrible, you know, crust punk metal band, yeah. whatever. But he's embarrassed of it, and it's like, well, we were fucking sixteen years old, dude. Like, yeah. just who cares? But I think maybe, and I don't know, his name's Toby. I don't know him that well anymore. But I I do think I wonder if he just is not necessarily embarrassed, but just. Maybe just sad where he's at or unhappy where he's at. Like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I did. I was in a really bad band when I was 16, 15 or whatever. Like, and I had fun and I had to do that band to get to the next thing. Yeah. I don't know. Not that like, I mean, fuck. Going back to the B-side yeah. um, thing with, with um, Slightly Stupid. And to me, like, uh, to me, like, really, like, all I have is like my San Diego, like San Diego. I'm really proud of, yeah. like, I represent San Diego wherever I go, like. 
That's my shit. I'm from San Diego. Wherever I'm at. But he's not from San Diego. No, he's not from that's San Diego. Part, that's and that's another that, thing yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But but like that's the thing that I have in me where like wherever I go, like I'm on what, what kind of music you like, you know? Like wherever I'm at and they're like, Oh, you're from San Diego? Like, oh dude, yeah, I know about San Diego. Like, you know, I fucking love the album leaf. I'm like, Oh, you like the album leaf? Oh, I fucking played trumpet on Tristeza records. And like, what? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I have that. Re- and like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I like P.O.D. Well, fuck, you know, P.O.D., me and Marcos grew up together. And Marcos, I got him his first job when, you know, right before they hit it big. And me and Wolvie are home. Like, what? There's a connection. You know what I mean? Like, you know, now like all oh, the locusts. Oh, fuck. And I play with the locusts. You know, I. it's like something that. When I'm on the road, dude, like that's my fucking root, the San Diego. Yeah. That's what combines like all this shit. So that's why I get offended when like you fucking don't pay San like you forget about your sure your history. But well you got the guy from San Diego State. It's not like you found him at the Che yeah, nah, yeah. or you know, mm-hmm. you didn't find him in Barrio Logan, like you found him at yeah. the, one of the lamest places on, uh, in the city. Like it wasn't somewhere <laughs> fucking cool and culturally. But relevant. the A bands was pretty big. Like Prince, mm-hmm. Prince is the trumpet player from the A band, the same band where Rymo was from. It's like the the jazz. Yeah. There's an A B band that the jazz band that, that was a. But big, I'm not okay. So I mean, but I'm talking about like on a moral yes, ethical yes. issue. He was lacking that San Diego S- DNA. Yeah. So a lot of musicians, you know, from the from state, they become working musicians. Like, you're not studying, you know, jazz to become a like. Yeah. You're studying jazz to be a professional, uh, perform live performance musician. So yeah. Prince, one of the trumpet players there, he ended up being the piano player for Black Eyed Peas. Who, uh, he was sickest trumpet player, one of the best trumpet players I ever heard. Don't even play the trumpet no more. He plays keys for, yeah. for Black Eyed Peas. It's just like a, it's like a thing like you, you graduate. It's like uh, being a, mu- a musician for Berkeley. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It opens doors for you. But as far as San Diego State, like it's not really like credible in that, in that, in that. Like in New York, you're not gonna be. I'm from the A band from yeah. San Diego State. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like New York, like uh, the way, like for example, I got a good story. Um, the Grayboy All Stars, and I, when I said. Um, when fucking Carl Denson would go on the road with uh, with um, Lenny Kravitz, so it was like the open door, like who's gonna fucking play saxophone? So it was like, oh, Harold Todd. So now Harold Todd fucking goes to Europe, and now there's who's gonna play saxophone? And this fucking cat, Chimmy, who's been fucking practicing the saxophone, like now it, here's your opportunity, boom. He fucking jumps on it. So Chimmy, dude, like I remember the being at his first show with the Great Ball. He's all nervous because, dude, you're fucking soloing like every song. Like, it's like a, it's a fucking gig, you know. And he fucking killed it. Like, dude, congratulations, Chimmy. Like that was badass and build his confidence. And Chimmy was always like the backup musician for every gig. Oh, someone, someone bailed out. Call Chimmy. Well, Chimmy went to New York, dude, and Chimmy fucking paid his dues in new york in new york it's it's a way harder fucking vibe dude like the jam sessions you can't just go fucking play you have to be you have to kill it uh-huh. and he fucking fell into the the community there and he fucking got into the daptones hmm. and the daptones is pretty much like you yeah know? Mm-hmm. so now chimmy has his own records dude 
like on Daptone and mm. he's established and fucking paid his dues, dude. But he did it on his own, you yeah. know, and it's respected. And and he's fucking I'm from San Diego. Yeah, you sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's but maybe like, it's like that. You know, like the dude from Chicken Farm, like he didn't get to go to, you know, San Diego State or Berkeley. He he just had to do the thing and he did it and he and he I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he did it from nothing and that's that says so much more. I think that's more important. That seems like a San, that seems like fucking San Diego to me. Yeah. And it's also a reason like like why like San Diego never became the big thing like what they were predicting back in the remember oh San Diego's going to be the next fucking this mm-hmm. and that like the music scene. It never became that. Because I think fucking, like, when opportunities come, people bail out. Like, this is kind of like a fucking recruiting zone or something. Yeah. Like LA. But also, they're like, it's going to be the next of this other thing. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, no, we're our own thing here. Yeah, right? we're our own thing. But it's also like a when, when when doors are open, like, your people are out. Like, like they're just like, I'm out. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm leaving San Diego. Well, that movie, um, It's Gonna Blow, that came out. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. Is on there? Wasn't Whoa. it the drive-in and down south and? No, 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 oh, no. It's that's, gonna blow. Okay. That's yeah, that's another movie. It's like a documentary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's, it's 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 a trip because they talk about that, like how we were gonna be the you know San Diego's gonna be the next big Seattle. If you watch the documentary, it doesn't really dive into it, but then there's like there was all that shit like crash worship and oh, all the gravity record stuff. Like there was all the weirdo shit that was happening here that doesn't. That's not yeah. Seattle never had that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they had cool shit, but like those are some of the best shows: B side and Crash Worship. And that reminds when, when right Locus when Locus invited us to go on the road with them. Mm. That that was like, dude, that's like. Crash Worship asking B-Side to open up. Like, what is this? Is this like an is this like a experiment? Is this a joke? <laughs> what is this? Like, like I'm, I was like, because I've seen Crash Worship. Like, why do they want us to open up? Like, How did they, that go? Do they want to fucking like, like, do they want to do a, a culture shock? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, I was confused. But then I was like, oh, when when we when we started doing the shows with them, I'm like, I fucking get it, dude. I get it. I get it, yeah. and it is a culture shock. Where'd you dude. play with Crash Worship? Like what venues? Uh, fuck, San Diego gigs like Casbah and shit like that. But um, we did some other um, some outdoor little uh, festival events. Where, Cause that shit was like a circus, you yeah, know? Yeah, it was a circus. Yeah, I mean that's why like I'm a fan of Gogo Bordello bands mm-hmm. like that, like Gypsy fucking crazy shit. Where it's like, what the fuck? It's like. Like there's some polka and some fucking Russian and some crazy shit in here. Mm. I love that. I love the uh-huh. world circus shit. And that was like a band that was like, dude, this is fucking badass. Mm. You know, like let's get our shit together, our live show together. You know what I mean? Mm. Those kind of bands, yeah. like they influence you, and like, and that's another band that people don't talk mention anymore. You know what I mean? That was a big thing. Crash worship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's legendary yeah. stuff. Oh. But um, yeah, it's it's just been it's been a it's been definitely like a roller coaster as far as, but as far as the musical influence, man, I feel like for me, it's uh, it's always I'm always being influenced like to this day, like I'm always open minded and and like uh, traveling with you that really influenced my ass a lot. Like I was like, oh man, like. These fools are the tightest band I've seen in a long time, you know? Like, 
like I haven't seen such tight tightness like that since like Mike Clark, the Headhunters, Herbie Hancock, you know, the original Herbie Hancock's band. Like I'm all the breaks and and mm. like this is jazz funk, but so tight. Mm. It's like they they know they've been playing with each other for so long and the breaks so crispy and i'm on the locust is one of the tightest bands mm. i've ever seen live but yeah. that's a good uh, uh, thank you but yeah. also like i mean herbie hancock that's yeah. like a huge influence on, my, on me growing up you know like that stuff's all that shit seeps in where i think a lot of maybe a lot of people don't um they're not open to that yeah. you know but that's it's just it. like the breaks everything i was like oh man this is so clean it's yeah. This is another. It was it was really good for it was meant to be. I'm, I'm so glad that that I got the chance to like you know be with you guys, um, and watch you guys play like different shows because it's just like this is the, there's a reason why I'm here right now. Like musically, I'm all this is okay, and it just put me in a whole thing of like all right, I'm going back to rehearsing again. Like because we stopped rehearsing like. Besides, stop rehearsing like ten years ago. We just don't rehearse anymore. Uh, I, but I think, like to me too, working with Luke and then, and then discovering Sonido and stuff was an awesome. Obviously, it was awesome in its own. But then when he would, I mean, I, like I think when we started talking about like letting Three One G put out the record, I was like, this is probably not the right idea. But like we want, I want to do this. It makes sense to me, you yeah. know. And that shit was like, I don't know. That was an honor in itself. It's like really. It's yeah, it's yeah. honorable to have the band on the label for so many reasons, musically, but also just culturally and also personally. Like the, yeah. that shit's the what it's all about. Colton Culture is proudly sponsored by Earthquaker Devices. Planet, Planet B. B.